This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. If you're new here, it's really wonderful to have you with us. You've, uh, you've just uh, dropped in in the middle of a series uh, that is sort of a practical series that we're calling Everyday Gospel. And uh, what we are looking at is how does the gospel impact uh, everyday life? And so we started out just talking about the gospel and the ordinary. How, how do we see God? How do we relate to God? How do we serve God? And sort of the mundane things of life, even things like chores at home or, uh, you know, just the regular things that we might do. How, how do we serve God and encounter him in that? How, how, is it true that, that really everything matters in our lives? And so we, we looked at that. We did, a, uh, we did a message on sleep. How do we honor the Lord through our sleep? What does God think about Sleep. What's the purpose of sleep? We did one on work. We did one on money. How, do, how does God call us to use our money? What's the purpose of it? And, and why do we work? That's what we looked at last week. So today we're going to talk about the gospel and leisure. And so if, uh, if you're new here, normally we just kind of teach through books of the Bible, go verse by verse, but this message is going to be a little different. It's going to be topical. We're going to look at a number of different scriptures uh, today. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one. There's one under the seat in front of you. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you today. So I want to talk about the gospel. This has been a different series. I've never taught on leisure. I've never taught on sleep. So uh, this has been something that has been interesting, uh, this series for me and my own studies. I hope it will be for you. So let's pray, and then we will jump into this topic. God, we thank you for today, this, this your day, the Lord's day, a day of rest. And uh, we pray that, Lord, we use this day of leisure for your glory, that as we are here worshiping today, we ask you to speak to us from your word. We ask you to direct us. We ask you to change us. Uh, Lord, we ask you to speak to us about an area that many of us uh, are not very good at and others of us live for. So we just pray that wherever we are today, young or old, uh, Lord, that we would have your vision for leisure. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, I actually felt a sense of calling from the Lord to pastoral ministry. I felt called to be a minister at about age 17, which is kind of unusual. Uh, and I remember thinking about what kind of minister would I be? What kind of pastor, what, what should I like pursue? I, I didn't really know. And so uh, I, in those days, and I don't know if this is a dated illustration or not, but in those days, the mega churches in the area where I grew up had something called a minister of recreation. I don't know if that still exists, but I thought about that, like a pastor of recreation. And I'm thinking, okay, so it could be, I could be like a pastor guy that spends his days exegeting the Greek text of the New Testament. Uh, I could be like a counseling pastor that spends his days bearing the burdens of those who are grieving and experiencing debilitating depression. Or I could be a pastor who plays dodgeball. And, uh, <laughs> A minister of recreation. I just remember laughing at that, and I actually knew guys that did that, that they went to seminary and got a degree in recreation, which I'm all about. That's great. I was just thinking maybe work at the YMCA, maybe work for Parks and Rec, not the show, but the, like the, uh, the, the thing in the city, maybe do that. So, 
But it revealed something very interesting. It revealed an attitude, first of all, incredible arrogance on my part, but it also revealed an attitude of this. What does the church have to do with recreation and leisure? And maybe more specifically, what does God have to do with it? I mean, that's a part of our life that doesn't really matter. That's not a spiritual part of life. It revealed an attitude that why would the church have anything to say about it? Really, I was the ignorant one. Now, we're not looking at Grace Church to hire a minister of recreation for our church, but, but I will say this. I'm challenged by the idea that this was an area of life that someone was set apart to equip people in that I was mocking. And I think it revealed something. What do you think about leisure and recreation? What do you think God's plan for leisure and recreation is? Do you think God has a purpose for your leisure time? Do you think that your leisure time is just your free time, your me time? Or is it possible that you could connect your leisure to your faith? How can you glorify God in your hobbies? How can you glorify God in sports? How can you glorify God in recreation and play? Or is this kind of taking the Christian life like a little too far? Is To talk about recreation, I mean, is this a little hyper? Is this like that oversaved friend of yours who's always saying praise the Lord and quoting a Bible verse for everything, and he's like, well, I'll give it a rest? Is this that kind of, is this kind of hyper Christianity to talk about this? Well, my hunch is that some of us have thought about work and faith before we talked about it in this series. A few of us may have thought about sleep and faith before this series, but I'm guessing that very, very few of us have thought about how our vacations relate to God, how our sports relate to God, how our day off relates to God, and I think we need a theology of leisure. And I was a foolish young man to think it really didn't matter and really didn't count. Um, because it does. We started this series with this scripture, and it's directed the whole series. Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything includes leisure. Whatever you do includes leisure. So there's got to be a way to connect this to our faith. And here's the good news, that when we meet Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, which is glorious, not only are we given eternal life, which is glorious, but we are given a new purpose in life today because we serve a new Lord who says, everything matters. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You have a new Lord who oversees, controls your life and a good God, and so everything you do can be leveraged as worship to him if we consider it intentionally, and that applies to leisure as well. Following Christ as whole life disciples with all of our lives includes what we do with our time off. Okay, let's start with maybe a definition of leisure because this word only appears once in the ESV and I'm not even going to look at it today. So it's, it's not a word necessarily, it's more of a cultural word, but the concept of it is strong in the Bible if this is the definition of it, which this is basically the dictionary definition of leisure. Leisure is time free from the demands of work. And we might say, or duty, because there are other duties in life besides work. But leisure is time free from work and other duties. It's fundamentally a ceasing from work. That's what leisure is. It has to do with our downtime, what we call our off time, what we might even call our free time. So where do we go in the Bible to find out about ceasing from work, the uh, uh, 
dictionary definition of leisure. Where do we find that? Well, we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. So if you have one of the chair Bibles, this is on page one. We can look at uh, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens, and this is, this is after God has created everything. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here's the first big idea from the Bible. Start at the beginning, and it's this. God created leisure. He not only created, he models it. God created leisure. Now, the word leisure, again, is not in this passage. But if leisure means ceasing from work or other duties, then that is the whole point of this passage. That God, after creating everything, on the seventh day rested from his work and he blessed this day. Later in Exodus 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments, we'll find out that this is so important that it's going to make number four on on the list. And they're not ranked in order. Though the first one is the most important one. They all flow from the first commandment. But the number four commandment is remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and keep it holy. On that day, you shall do no work. So, on, so this, this, what happens here, what God does at creation, he implements for his people and institutionalizes for Israel as the Sabbath day. Notice that in this passage, what God is doing is creating a rhythm of life. It's a a pattern of six days of work and rest on the seventh day. So leisure is actually uh, put into the very pattern of the time cycle, the very pattern of our lives, that six days we work, one day we rest. Rest from work was God's idea. He creates rest, and he models something for us here about rest. In a book, and it's hard to find anything on this topic. I did, uh, I did a fair bit of research, and it's hard to find anything that talks a lot about this. But one outstanding book is called Work and Leisure by Leland Reichand work and leisure. And in that, he says this about what God models. He says, what then does God's rest from work say about leisure? It affirms leisure by drawing a boundary to human work. Like God's rest, leisure frees us from the need for productivity and allows us instead to enjoy what has already been made. There is an element of celebration of what has been accomplished in such rest. That's exactly what it tells us in Genesis 2. We are to imitate God and have regular times when we are not producing something. There would be times when we are not to be productive in the normal sense of our regular daily labors. And that is hard for some of us. I mean, the reality is that some of us are very driven, and we aren't very good at taking a break from work. And the reality is, with, in a technological age that we live in, that even when you are off work, many of us have connections to work with the phone that is always blaring text and emails and work-related uh, activity, that that, that that is always with us. So some of us, even though we may take a break from work, we're thinking about work. And you know what? That doesn't make you an overachiever. That doesn't make you type A personality. That doesn't make you successful. That makes you ungodly. 
meaning unlike God. Because God worked six days and then rested and enjoyed what he had accomplished. Our resistance to rest, our resistance to a break from work and even a diversion from work for some of us. Now, some of us have no problem with this, and that, we'll get to that later. But for those of us who do, this is an issue that, that goes down to the very core of creation and the pattern God sets for us. I love what he says. The, the seventh day, it puts a boundary to our work. It puts a boundary to productivity. It says that you are not created just to produce. Taking a, a break and enjoying what we've accomplished. Look at Genesis 131. After he... Um, created everything. It says, verse 31, he saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. He, he, he saw what he has made. It was very good. There was morning, the evening, the sixth day. And then he rests. After each day, he sees what he's accomplished. And then at the end of the week, he takes time and experiences that God himself, um, looks at what he does and says, it is very good. Now, this is a model. We can't press this too far. God isn't depleted of energy as we would be, but he's still rested. And there's something about taking a break and enjoying God's faithfulness in what has been accomplished in our lives. There's even something about taking a break and enjoying what God has done in creation. And Riken makes this point. That he says, and this is, this, is a, this is a theological implication. This isn't what the text actually commands. But it's, an, it's a helpful insight. He says that when we get outside and enjoy God's creation, especially in a technological age, when we get outside and enjoy the beauty of God's creation, that in some way we are experiencing leisure in a way that God intended on the seventh day. He admires all that he has created. And in the same day, there's something, same way, there's something healthy about outdoor leisure activities where we take in the beauty of God, and we too look to him and celebrate what he has made. Even, even in a fallen world, the, the, the power of God, the character of God is on display in his creation, and there's something beautiful about experiencing that. Now, I would not press that and say, you know, all leisure, all recreation for the glory of God needs to be in creation. It does not. But there's something there that's powerful. I think that's why we're drawn to people like to vacation and take breaks where they can experience the beauty of God. And that's why they go to the mountains. That's why we camp. Or that's why you go to the beach. Or that's why you go to the lake. Uh, because there's something of that that's, that's uh, replenishing to us. So God creates leisure, the ceasing from work, and models a rhythm of life between work and rest. And uh, in these regular times of rest, it's a time that we're not to be producing something as of our normal work, uh, the Sabbath command, but rather we are to enjoy what's already been accomplished and especially what God has accomplished. So God creates leisure. Number two, leisure is a gift. When we think of the Sabbath day, many of us, especially because of the way the Pharisees abused this, if you're familiar with uh, the Sabbath controversies in Jesus' ministry with those who abused it, many of us think of the Sabbath as like something that's all about rules and regulations, that it's a burden, that rest is a burden. But rest is a gift. The Sabbath is absolutely a gift. I have this memory of growing up, and this is going to date me, um, 
but there's some in the room who will remember this. There used to be something called the Blue Laws, and they were historically tied to uh, Seventh Sunday, things, businesses being closed. In this culture, everything used to shut down on Sundays. Once some things began to open up, there were still Blue Laws, which meant that certain things couldn't be sold on Sundays. And so I remember as a kid going to, I was probably seven, eight years old, going to this big drugstore on a Sunday. It was like bigger than a Walgreens or CVS. I mean, I remember they actually sold, it was a drugstore, but I can remember actually they sold like stereos and it was, it was crazy. So, but it was big uh, kind of drugstore. And uh, I remember going into it on a Sunday and I'm a little kid and they had a fairly robust toy aisle, you know, more robust than the common uh, drugstore now. But the toy aisle was roped off legally. I, I remember it being dark and there being like a chain. You couldn't go down that aisle. Now you could buy necessities on Sunday. So you could buy food, you could get medication, you could do Sabbath necessities. This is in Houston, but I, I didn't grow up Amish. This is like in Houston, by the way. So this is like this is, this is what I, I'm, I didn't mean to mock Amish, but you would understand Amish people might have a stricter code. I, I, I grew up in Houston, and so you couldn't buy. So what I remember as a kid is, wow, Sunday is the day you can't look at a toy and try to manipulate your mom into feeling guilty to buy you something to shut you up. I couldn't do that. I couldn't even pick something up. I couldn't get a toy. And what that communicated to me is, like, that's all because of God? Well, like God must not be into fun. God must be, he doesn't like toys. So on, on the Lord's day when we're supposed to be resting, no fun, no toys. You can't go down that aisle. Yes, you can get medicine. God's okay with that, but God doesn't want anybody having any fun. That's what that communicated to a little kid. The message is that Sunday's a religious day. God doesn't want people to actually enjoy themselves. He, God's not into play or recreation. But the, the, the day of rest that God created is, is, is implemented as a gift. Uh, the, the fourth commandment says on that day you're to rest and you're to give rest to others. Your kids are not to have to work. You're, you're, if you have a servant, they're not to work. If you have animals, you even, they were even commanded to give their animals a rest because even animals needed rest and replenishing and rejuvenation. So that's what it was all about. If you had a sojourner staying with you, that person wasn't supposed to like work for their stay. You just, it's all about taking a break. God wants us to benefit from rest. So that's Exodus 20 is where we find that commandment. But a few verses later, chapters later, we get another insight into the purpose of rest. It's, it's fascinating. In, in Exodus 31, um, Exodus 31, this is after the commandment of to rest has been given. Verse 16, you shall take, uh, no, that's not right. Uh, Exodus, yeah, Exodus, I was in the wrong chapter. Exodus 31, 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I never saw that until this week. Now, God didn't deplete energy. The only refreshing God had was something to model us, for us. Is that a burden that God would say, if you work all the time, you will die? I want you to be refreshed. Do you have a picture of God that says, I want you as my son and daughter to experience refreshing, so much so that I'm going to institute a whole law and build a whole nation around this Sabbath principle? Refreshing. That's, that's, that is what leisure is 
about. So I don't know exactly what it means that God was refreshed, but I do know what it means that we are refreshed because after the fall in Genesis 3, work becomes wearying. It is toil. It's a gift. It's a means to worship the Lord as we talked about last week, but it's also difficult. So let me ask you this. Do you regularly take time off and do something that refreshes your body and your mind? What do, is there something that comes to mind? Do you have a hobby? Do you enjoy a sport? Is there something, we're talking about this in church, yes. Is there something outdoors? See, this whole principle is cease from work and do something else that you can be refreshed, that is a refreshing to your soul. Um, do, do you enjoy the outdoors? Do you do something outdoors? Maybe it's even just take a walk. Do, do you, how do you think about your time off? Do you have an intentional refreshment plan for your body and soul? Because God wants that for his people. Do you have an intentional refreshment plan or do you just kind of barrel through the work week and when you finally get time off, maybe Saturday, Sundays, this could be your day, you battle into it and then you're just like, I don't know, man. I have no idea. I'm just going to try to make it through the day. I know on my day off, sometimes that happens to me. I just kind of make it through the day. I was like, what, what did I do today that was even like meaningful or encouraging, refreshing to my soul? By the way, that's why we associate the word recreation with leisure. And the, the, the word recreation, if you look at the definition, it has to do with leisure because it is a recreating God created on six days, so we work six days creating. We talked about that last week. Work is part of work is to create, part of it is to keep and preserve. We talked about that. But we work for six days creating, and then on the day when we rest, when we do leisure, we are being recreated. There is a recreating taking place in our hearts and minds, and that happens biologically, by the way. We'll get into that, but there's a, there's a whole science behind recreation and what it does for the mind, the chemicals that the mind produces and what it does for the body. There's, this, is, this is biblical it's theological, but there's science that shows, yeah, we need a break for this reason. We, we need a diversion. We need refreshing. And you know what's amazing? God doesn't just tell his people, take one day a week and don't work. He, he said three times a year, you're to shut everything down and go up to Jerusalem for a festival. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a religious vacation kind of in some ways. If you had a lot of kids, little kids, a lot of work, I get that, like all vacations. Um, but don't worry, they get bigger and then you can have real vacations. But when they're little, it's like a lot of work, I get that. And, uh, but they would go up there and so they would worship. But part of what they would do was feast and have music and dancing. It, there was parts of it that were very festive. So it's like get out of your normal farming and get up to Jerusalem, and there's going to be a celebration. Where there's going to be a party of, with the family, and everybody's going to be together. So God said three times a year you got to do that. And then he said every seventh year, let, your gra- let the ground lie. Don't even plant anything. So you're going to take off. If you're a farmer, you're not even going to grow anything in that seventh year. And you're going to do the same every 50th year. Because he even implemented the land gets a rest. God's very serious about rest. If I could say it this way, God's very serious about play as well, I think. Very serious about rest. This is not just something, I think sometimes we can think of a word like leisure. I mean, that is totally like a modern luxury in the Western world. 
No, God told peasant farmers a day a week, you get a break. Three times a year, you get a break. Every seven year, you get a sabbatical. You take, you take the year off. So he said to peasant farmers, not people in the Western world who have high stress and the internet and we've got all these new things that are stressing us out. That's true. We do have that. But he said that back to people who didn't carry nearly the complexity of life that we do. And he said, get a break. Yet we think we can just press on through complexity and just keep it going, work it all, get the kids down and then work some more and work and work and work and work. Leisure is a gift. Listen, I recently came across a passage of scripture that absolutely blew me away. I was, uh, I was not, had nothing to do with the sermon. I was going through in my devotions, in my devotional life, I, t- I tend to like study a book. I, I, sometimes I, there's like reading, long reading plans. I, I, that has value too. Sometimes it's read a couple verses, that has value. But I like reading through a book. So I'm reading through the book of Zechariah, which is, you're thinking, wow, Zechariah. Uh, once you know the context of Zechariah, it's fascinating. Here's the context of Zechariah. Basically what happens, and this, this is going somewhere. Uh, I'm not just saying, let me share a thought for my devotions. No, this is going somewhere. <laughs> and so, uh, so here, here's what happens. Throughout the history of Israel, God tells his people, stop following other gods and follow me. I rescued you from the Exodus. I love you. Why are you worshiping Baal? And he would send prophets, repent, go back to God, stop worshiping false gods. And he would be prolonged in his repeated appeals, forgiveness, mercy, come back to God. Well, they don't listen, and they don't listen, and they don't listen. And so there is, there is this time where God says, okay, I'm going to bring judgment to get your attention. Because I love you, and so I'm going to have to wake you up with discipline. So he lets the Babylonians come into Jerusalem, where the people of God worship, and they destroy the temple. They tear down and trash the city. And then they, uh, then they, they cart most of the people off who live in exile in a foreign land under foreign gods away from the place God has placed them. And in, in Zechariah 7, he, he, says that he says what he did. He, here's how he describes it. He says, I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land was left desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate. So God allows his own land, his own people to go desolate. Then, miraculously, after a number of years, he makes a way for them to go back. And a remnant, a small group of them go back, and the city's trashed. And so they start building the the temple a little bit, and then they lose heart. They have to build their own homes. But then there's crops problems. They're poor. They're destitute. They're desolate. So even though God has allowed them to come back, life is really hard. And it is nothing like their former glory. So then here's what God does. Now, this is the part that stood out to me. God says to them, I'm going to do a new work. I've brought you back. This is the season of discipline is over. And I'm going to show you my presence and my power. And I'm going to bless you. And how does he describe the blessing? This is how he describes the blessing. This is in the future. This is what the blessing of God looks like, he says to them. Chapter 8, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I've returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. Wow, the unfaithful will be called faithful. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Old men and women shall sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
It is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of the people of these days. Should it not also be marvelous in my sight? Children playing in the streets. Grandparents with their staffs sitting down, lying in a hammock, watching the kids all play. What does God, when he wants to encourage people and say, here is the experience of my provision. You want to know what my protection looks like? You want to know what safety looks like? You want to know you were under the enemy, but now you're under me. Do you want to know what favor looks like? Do you want to know what restoration looks like? It looks like people playing. It looks like kids having fun in the streets. That is the picture. When you were in exile, when you were under judgment, when you were captive to a nation, you didn't have the freedom to play. You didn't have the freedom to rest. The older people couldn't just sit out and enjoy it. And there was no older people at this time in Jerusalem because they didn't make the trek back. It was too hard. But he said, you're going to have older people and the children playing. It's a picture of carefree joy. The blessing of the Lord is tasted in rest and carefree joy. When he wants to give a picture of, do you want to know what revival, what my presence, what me restoring all things is going to look like? It's going to include Children carefree running in the streets and playing and adults who are too old perhaps to get out and run with them, watching them and enjoying it. Leisure was created by God as a gift that we might rest and be refreshed and enjoy him through rest and through play. Is your picture of God a picture of a God who would enjoy people playing? That is not what I got at the drugstore at age seven. I right, God doesn't want you put that ball down. God is looking. God says, you want to know what the age of the spirit is? Kids carefree playing and laughing and making a lot of noise and running around and having fun. We think, hey, God likes church. This matters. But what we do this afternoon, he didn't care. Maybe we've, we've been to enough of Bob's seminars and you heard the message last week that you know God sort of even might like work. But play? I read a book this week, a guy talking about, he wrote, in a, cha- wrote a chapter about play and this is a story he tells. Just after our son Joey turned one, we were at a park in our neighborhood where a slim middle-aged man with salt and pepper hair and silver wired rimmed glasses was lobbing a tennis ball to his dog a few feet away. Five or six young children gathered around to watch and Joey, the one-year-old, Joey shuffled to the edge of the group. Each time the dog would jump in the air and catch the ball, Joey would arch his head back and burst into such convulsive laughing that he would wobble and lose balance and fall on his bum. Seeing Joey's joy, the children in the group began to giggle with glee as well. They pointed to him and said, he likes it. He likes it. By then, the dog owner joined in and said, that is a happy boy. He took the slobber-covered tennis ball and put it in Joey's hand and said, you try it. Joey didn't have the motor skills to throw the ball, so I put my hand under his, and we did it together. I took immense joy in the contagious joy of my son. Just as we delight in seeing our children light up with joy, so too does God, our Heavenly Father. 
Some people find this difficult to believe or accept. They may have grown up in homes where the Sabbath was a dreary day of don'ts. Don't play baseball. Don't play games. Don't chew gum. If this was your experience, you may have a distorted image of God, seeing him as someone who frowns at people who have too much pleasure. The truth is that we belong to a God who loves us more than we can even imagine and delights in our joy. He takes pleasure in our pleasure. God gave the gift of leisure. God commanded, stop working and take a break. God said to his suffering people, do you want to know what the blessing of my presence looks like and my safety and my protection? It's kids playing in the streets. And some of us, some of us are missing out because we don't understand that God's favor and God's pleasure and God's joy that can be experienced as we experience the rest that he provides God delights when we receive and cultivate the gift of leisure. Give this some thought. Think about this. What kind of leisure activity does your family enjoy if you have a family? Or if you're single, what what kind of leisure activity do you enjoy? Are you cultivating a joy in the Lord, a worship of the Lord in rest and play? Is that rhythm in your life? Can you take a nap for the glory of God? Can you go on a walk and appreciate God? What gets your mind off work and refreshes your body and your mind? If your leisure involves money, and it doesn't have to, but if it does, do you budget for that? Do you calendar for that? Do you have an item? Do you have a line item in your budget? And maybe you, this is impossible. I certainly wouldn't start here but because but, you can do free leisure. But is there a budget for, in your, in your budget, is there a line for something like this? For you can bless others and give them rest as well. Are you planning times like this? Do you plan for recreation? It's a gift, but it's a gift that must be received and cultivated. God created, rec, uh, God created leisure. Leisure is a gift. Number three, leisure can become a God. This is what some of you thought the whole sermon was going to be about, but I saved it till the end. Some of us in the room need to take a break. Repentance for you is leaving and go have a picnic. Repentance for you is go have a bike ride. Repentance for you today will be go and, uh, you know, go and take photographs of photography is what you enjoy doing for leisure outdoors. Whatever. Some of you just need to go have fun. That's stop being more godly than God, and go have some fun, okay? That's some people in the room. But there's another group of people in the room where something that is a gift can become too important and can become ultimate and actually can become a God to us. How do we know if leisure is idolatry in our life? Well, number one, when work is just a means to play. If, there's an old song in the, in the 80s, everybody's working for the weekend, Everybody's working, that all I'm doing for work, all my, it's just to make money so that I can get some time off to have fun. I can get time off for myself. I can get time off for my family. That, that work is a means to an end. That the end is, whew, I get to do what I want to do. 
If that's the case, then your priorities are out of balance. You're not seeing work as a valuable gift from the Lord as an act of worship. So listen to last week's message if you weren't here on that. Because work isn't a means to just get a break. That means that's what I look forward to. That's what drives me, and I'm minimizing the calling of work. The other can happen as well. We think the only reason we get leisure is so that we can then go back and be productive. The only reason I'm going to stop is so I can go be a better producer at work. That says that work is everything, and leisure is only so that you can go be a good worker because God only cares about work and leisure. Okay, you got to do that so you can get back to what's important. They both have value. The six days of creation had value in and of themselves. The seventh day of rest had value in and of itself. If it's one of the Ten Commandments to rest, then we can glorify God in rest without having to rest and just get back to work. So if work is a means to play, then then play may be an idolatry in your life. Here's another one. When the calling of leisure causes us to compromise our other callings, then it's an idolatry. See, leisure can't bleed into our other responsibilities so that it overtakes them, and that happens with some people. I live two decades in California where there is the beach and there are the mountains, and every, there is just the, and perfect weather, and there is just the calling to go do something else all the time, recreation is shouting, leisure is all around. And so there is that temptation. When my pursuit of recreation hinders my faithfulness and other callings, then that leisure is a God. So for instance, golf can be a gift from God. It, it can be. It can be a gift from God. However, however, if you're a dude who's married and you've got young children at home, and you've got limited time off. You get a day off a week where you can just do whatever, and you spend five hours of the day every week on your day off, and the way I play golf, six or seven hours. And if you're not a golfer, that means I'm really bad, and it takes me a long time. You, you want to hit as few strokes as possible, and I had more. And then you're going to go to lunch with the guys, and then you can, so if you're going to take six, seven hours of your one day and leave your, your day off every week, leave your wife at home with the young kids, then, then your leisure is cutting into your marriage. And your leisure is cutting into your fatherhood. And your kids are going to grow up remembering you throwing the golf bags in the car and driving off and then coming back late in the afternoon. Did I say don't play golf? No. I said if your leisure is cutting into your other callings, there's a problem. You need to play nine holes. You need to tee off at 6 a.m. You need to play once a month instead of once a week. you got to fix that so that it stays within its boundaries when it cuts in to our other responsibilities. If you hunt or fish or something like this for leisure, that's your hobby. That can be a gift. That can be a gift. But if it means, wow, the best time to hunt and fish, the, the, I, it's most convenient for me to go to the lake on Sunday. And you miss church. You don't go to church because of your leisure. You have a calling to leisure. I've spent 35 hour long minutes saying you've got a calling to leisure. But you've got a calling to gather with God's people and worship with them too. And if, if hunting and fishing or whatever it is means I need to be doing that on Sundays, then that leisure is cutting into other callings and it's become an idol to you. And by the way, your kid's leisure can become an idol as well. 
your kids' leisure can become. What's kids' leisure? Well, kids, it's what they do when they're not in school. And we live in a city that has made kids' leisure the top priority in the culture for most families. And let me be very clear. My kids played sports growing up. Three of them played, and two of them played quite a bit. And I thought it was great. But somebody's got to say something in Frisco, Texas. Somebody's got to raise their hand and say, this is unhinged. And if you're going to go to practices four nights a week and run through the drive-thru and get fast food and never sit down as a family and have a meal, then your kid's leisure is cutting into your calling as a family. And if you're going to spend all Saturday at the ballpark and never have any time, if you don't have time... Guys, if you don't have time to go out with your wife and have a date because you've got sports all week long, then, then your kid's leisure is cutting in to your marriage calling and responsibility. It's just the reality. If your kid's sports mean that they have to play Sundays and you can't gather with the people of God to worship, you're counted out from that because of leisure, then your leisure has cut in to another calling. And somebody's got to be prophetic somewhere and say, this is not right to trash your marriage. Last week I talked about families that tank because of workaholic uh, spouses who don't pay attention to their marriage. You, your family can tank because of leisureaholics, golf, boating, I, I don't know what it is, weekend trips, lake home kids' sports, any of this in its right borders and parameters is a gift to be enjoyed. When it spills outside of its parameters into other things, then it's, then it's something that is idolatrous. You know, I, I lo- it's great to have a hobby. Again, you guys heard me, right? You need a hobby. I need a hobby. I'm not great at this subject. I'm convicted about this. But I don't, what's your hobby? Photography, art, woodworking, cycling, Listen, if you are spending your day at work on the internet, on Pinterest, uh, which is looking at your hobby, or you're on websites about cycling and you're spending your day at work, a lot of our, the studies on how much time workers spend on the internet on the job are astounding. And if you're doing research for your hobby on your job, do you know what? Then your recreation has, has, has drifted over into the calling of work, which you're supposed to be doing right then. That means my my leisure is becoming idolatrous because it's causing me to compromise another calling. How do I know that leisure is a God? Well, when I spend money I don't have on leisure. It's beautiful that some leisure is free. Like, I like to go on a walk. That doesn't cost anything. That is really, really good. So you, you don't have to spend money. You can do a picnic and be outdoors and you know, you're going to eat anyway. So it's not going to cost you any more to do a picnic at the park than it is to eat in your kitchen. So you can do free recreation. You you can buy a tennis racket, which costs a little money. You can get one. Well, I don't need to be telling you where to get a deal, but you can, you can, it's going to cost you three tennis balls. Okay. And you can go to a public court and you can be a tennis player pretty cheap. You don't have to have all the bling and look like you're not any good anyway. So you don't have to look fancy. Okay. You might be great. I don't know. So you, you can do it cheap, but let me say this, when you are spending money you don't have on leisure, if your leisure means motorhome, boat, Harley, four-wheeler, jet skis, high-end bicycle, kayaks, if you can pay for that, great. Use that for the glory of God and invite others to go kayaking, fantastic. But if you're going into consumer debt 
Buying things that you cannot afford to do leisure so that you can be like everybody else in Frisco or so that you can do the one fulfillment. Well, God wants me to rest. Yeah, but God doesn't want you to spend money you don't have and be unfaithful with your finances. Do you see what I'm saying? That means I have a calling to be a faithful steward. And when my leisure goes into the calling of stewardship with my money, then it's become a God. God wants you to go on a vacation. Our vacation this year, we we just kind of did a staycation. We didn't spend a lot of money. But some years we do spend money. I think we should save. I think it's good if whatever you can save. We put it by a little bit, but let's see how much do we have. Let's Let's trust the Lord. We get some windfall this year, and we can put that in the vacation fund. You don't have to do an elaborate vacation, but I think, you should, I think you should take time off. And if your employer gives you time off, you should maximize and take that time off. And if you can do something that's, maybe it's day trips that don't cost you anything, that's great. You need to take a break from work. You need a vacation. But if your vacation caused you to put it all on a credit card and you're spending money you don't have to go on that vacation, then that leisure has now cut into another responsibility of financial stewardship. And I need to say, is this out of balance is this honoring the Lord? How do I know if leisure's a God? Well, when I only work to get to play, when leisure causes me to compromise my other callings, and when I spend money I don't have. Last thought here is that leisure is to remind us of the gospel. You say, seriously? Okay. I was with you until now. Like my, my hobby, like leisure, maybe yours is like kickboxing. When I spit down there, kicking the devil's head in. I mean, what, what, how's that going to? How's the gospel relate to kickboxing or something else? You know, I don't know what, what your leisure activity is. I, I play. I, I don't know. I, I like to play cards. That's restful for me as we play cards. So, do we like to have to have Christian cards and you know the the twelve of apostles or whatever? You know, it, <laughs> king. Oh, do you say king? Jesus is king. You know, you have to be. How's the gospel relate to my leisure? Okay, listen to this passage. Most of us know the fourth commandment from Exodus 20. You shall honor, you honor, keep the Sabbath day, do no work on that day, give others rest. Most of us know that one. We're less familiar with Deuteronomy 5 where the Sabbath commandment is repeated, and this is what it says. You shall, so don't work, he says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's he saying? Being freed from slavery in Egypt is the picture, the Old Testament picture of being saved in the New Testament. We are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, I want you every Sabbath day to remember that I brought you out of Egypt and you couldn't do that for yourself. You're saved because of my work and not your work. That's what God's saying. You were rescued from slavery because of my work, not from what you could produce. So take a day of rest and remember what I did. Remember my saving power. Remember my deliverance. Remember my glory in saving you. So when you take time to rest, when you take time to recreate, be recreated in your heart, when you take time to not do work, when you cease from work, when you enjoy what has been accomplished, when you enjoy what God has accomplished in nature and creation, also realize enjoy what he has accomplished in your salvation. Have fun, get exercise, find a diversion, take a nap, stimulate your creativity, go for a walk. Do a thousand other things. But as you enjoy rest, just remember I'm resting 
physically and mentally just like I'm resting in my soul because God has done all the work for me so that now I can rest. That's how the gospel ties in here. It was in the command to rest. Remember that God delivered you. And so we are to do that as well. He delivered me as he delivered the slaves of Egypt. He did all the work. Praise God. And hand me a seven iron. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.